Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Pastor Barent Neustraten. There is an aspect to what Jesus went through which is so often overlooked. I always wonder why God would allow the humiliation of a trial. A trial by people. It's ridiculous. But that's what happened. I always pondered upon that and as I give you some of the background and I'll explain certain matters of Jewish law to you, jurisprudence for a Hebrew is very different than we know it. I want to start with that fateful night when Jesus, that Thursday night, when he had walked into the Garden of Gethsemane. Now do you know what Gethsemane means? I know I've told you. Gatshemen means oil press. God is press, shaman is oil. There was a commercial orchard of olive trees, and they had there, for they had an oil press, which was a round hole in the rock with a, a channel right at the bottom. They would put the olives in there, place a heavy millstone with a 40 feet beam and then they would have a beast of burden that would go around and around and around and it would grind every drop of oil out of the olives. Now that name was there hundreds of years, the name Gethsemane was there hundreds of years before this night. What's the significance of that? When Jesus became the bearer of our sin and our guilt, something happened to him. And you really find the answer to that in the 59th chapter of the book of Isaiah, and we won't look it up, but you might do it at a later time. Your sins have separated you from me. Your iniquities have hidden my face from you. In the strength of the Holy Spirit, Jesus as the Messiah and Messiah is meaning anointed. Had he performed his ministry. And that Holy Spirit was removed from him. I want you to understand that. Jesus that night, that Thursday night, 31 AD, the 14th of Nisan, which is the first month of the religious calendar, or Aviv. For the first time in his earthly life, for the first time in the history of the universe, he was separated from the Holy Spirit. Oil is symbolic of what? Holy Spirit. Where were we? Where are we? Gethsemane, eh? Gethsemane. The weight of the sin 
of the world was placed upon him and those sins squeezed the Holy Spirit out of him. Do you understand that? Jesus, what he did do for us, he took all the sin of the whole world and it absolutely crushed him. He would have never, never come out of that garden alive. Gospel of Luke, and you'd expect it from the doctor, he mentions a phenomenon which is known in medical science as hematidrosis. That is when the little vessels, blood vessels, uh, burst under extreme duress. And the blood then mingles with the perspiration. And then, as the author says, his, the sweat from his head, like drops of blood, fell to the ground. Very, very rare. And it must be under the most extreme duress. And that is what happened to Jesus when he was in Gatshaman. He now, in the Garden of Eden, was bearing the guilt and the sins of the whole world. And it crushed him. The Holy Spirit went out of him. And as he prayed, as he prayed and prayed, and the disciples were asleep, you know the story. He ultimately then got up, and where are we? We are on the western slope of the Mount of Olives. And if ever you've been on that side, you can see the Kidron Valley. You see, this night was Passover moon, so you had a full moon. You could see the Kidron Valley. And through any of those four gates on the eastern wall, he would have seen the party that had left the quarters of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they were coming for him, and he knew it. The Solomonic Temple and the Second Temple, the Zerubbabel Temple, or Herod's Temple as it was known, Every Jew would always face, wherever they were, if they were in earnest prayer, they would face towards the temple. Jesus would have seen them come. He had to. And yet he meets them. He waits for them and he meets them. And it's a remarkable thing that his arrest found place at night, as he did say, why didn't you arrest me during the day? And as he let them do it, he let them take him, bound him as if he would run away. And then he was taken where? He was taken to the house of a certain person. What was his name? First he was taken to Ananias, the father-in-law of Caiaphas. Caiaphas was the high priest all throughout the duration of the uh, procuratorship of Pontius Pilate from 26 AD to 36 AD. And Caiaphas examined him, so to speak, didn't get anywhere. And then he went to Caiaphas 
and that is where we will take up the story from the Gospel of Mark. Now, the Gospel of Mark, I would respectfully put to you, is the Gospel of Peter. I think he got it from him. Which is significant because Peter was there. Yeah? Remember that? Remember the story of Peter? When Jesus went through that trial. Now, if you open your Bible here, if you open your Bible at the 14th chapter of the Gospel of Mark. And we really have the story, the records of an eyewitness, which would have been Peter. And I'll take it up at verse 55. The 14th chapter of the Gospel of Mark, verse 55. Have you got it? Excellent. Now the chief priest and all the council saw testimony against Jesus to put him to death. Now let's hold it right there. What did we just read? What was the purpose of the trial? It's a trial. What was the purpose of the trial? They wanted to put him to death. Now, let's put the Bible down right there. Let me tell you something about Jewish law. In Jewish law, if there was a capital offense, you would go before the Sanhedrin. Any Sanhedrin who would ever condemn a man to death with a frequency more than once every seven years was known as a bloodthirsty Sanhedrin. You see, Jewish law is based on mercy. Absolutely based on mercy. Let me paint you the picture you would have a half circle. You would have 70 members. You needed a quorum of at least 22. You would have 70 members sitting there. Remember the book of Daniel, chapter 7, and I saw thrones. They cast thrones, and he saw them sitting on that. That language comes from a Sanhedrin meeting on capital punishment cases. So they were, these, these were not thrones, these were solid pillows. You could sit on it for quite a long time. <laughs> and a semicircle, and then before him would be the high priest. So you had 70 plus 1. And behind the members of the Sanhedrin, you would have three rows of students. I want you to remember that. I hope to come back to that. Now you must understand that if you went to court, if you were brought to court in a Jewish law setting, you had no prosecutor. There's no prosecutor. They didn't have a word for it. Neither did you have an executioner. You didn't. And so what you would have, you would have a witness that would come forth who is the accusing witness. 
effectively that witness becomes the prosecutor. Every single member of that Sanhedrin, including the high priest, were of the finest scholars of the nation. They knew about forensics. They were bilingual. They knew all about the law. They were theologians because this is a theocracy. They were the most intelligent people of the whole of the nation. And there was no more prestigious position other than the high priest than, of course, to be a member of the Sanhedrin. But it is remarkable that every one of those clever people there who were sitting in judgment were instantly becoming your solicitor. You didn't have a solicitor for the defense. The moment they bring you into a court setting before the Sanhedrin, the whole of the Sanhedrin was acting on your part, the accused. You understand that? You would have 70 of the finest brains being on your side. But they were also your judge. Remember Jesus saying that all judgment has been given to whom? Huh? Yeah, to the Son. Jesus is your judge. Now, if you go to the epistle of, of John, he says, Oh, we have what? An advocate with the Father. How can you be the judge and the advocate? You could only have that in Jewish law. The moment you came before the, the judge, the judge became your advocate. Can you see that? If you study this principle, you will understand the pre-advent investigative judgment. Without it, you won't understand it. Yeah? And so... If you were guilty, you would have something to worry about. But if you were not guilty, you had the best of the best acting on your behalf. Now, besides the prosecuting witness, the accusing witness, you needed two more witnesses who could give you, who could give an absolute account from beginning to end. You understand what I just said? See, that is unlike our own law. It was so difficult. Now, let's say this good brother here just stole a car. A nice, expensive Mercedes. Plenty of them here in the eastern suburbs. She saw him getting into the car and he drove off. Then he saw him at the car dealer's. And she saw him counting the money. And she saw him sitting there in the Hakoa club at the pokies, playing the pokies as if it was going out of fashion. Drinking champagne. French champagne, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Now you can put those witnesses together and in our law, in our jurisprudence, you have a case. Not in the Jewish law. You started to accuse him of stealing a car, selling it, and then wasting, spending the money. 
you had to see everything. And if you didn't see him stealing the car, as far as Jewish law is concerned, you disqualified. And if you saw him counting the money, unless you saw him receiving the money and stealing the car, you got, you're unqualified as a witness. Unless you saw him getting the car, going to the dealers, selling it as if it was his own, counting the money and spending him, you're not qualified as a witness. Do you understand what we're saying here? Now, now you begin to understand as we keep reading this gospel what the difficulties were and what found place is the most incredible thing. Now, let's read it again. Why were they coming together? They wanted to do what? They wanted him dead. They are totally disqualified, every single one of them, because their purpose was to put him to death. Disqualified, all of them. They should have absolutely under Mishniak law, they should have disqualified themselves. But they didn't. That's the first breach that we find. Now let's have a look and read a little bit further. It is such a remarkable story. Now it says here in verse 56, for many bore false witness against him, but their testimonies did what? I told you, besides the prosecuting witness, two witnesses who saw everything and their testimonies had to be absolutely identical. He goes free. Because they don't agree. And they don't agree. And the last one doesn't even know what they're talking about. Case dismissed. You understand? Jewish law. Case dismissed. The witnesses did not agree. There were sets of law, and I'm going to read to you now. Keep your finger here. I'll take you to the book of Deuteronomy. I want you to see something which makes the story all the more remarkable if you come to chapter 19. Verse 18. Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 18. You want to see this. The burden on the witness was so immense... Let's have a look. Verse 18 of chapter 19, the book of Deuteronomy. Moses in his farewell address gives the instruction according to their practice of court of law. Verse 18, and the judges shall make careful inquiry. And indeed, if the witness is a false witness who has testified against his brother, then you shall do to him as he thought to have done to his brother. Get it? Continue. So shall you put away the evil from among you, and those who remain shall hear and fear, and hereafter they shall not again commit such evil among you. Your eyes shall have no pity. Life for a life, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, hand for a hand, food for a food. That only applies in the legal setting. Being a false witness meant that the condemnation of the accused might fall upon you. What were they trying to do and to achieve here? Well, they wanted to put Jesus to death. Is that true? 
every one of those witnesses should have been put to death. In fact, if you go to the book of Revelation, don't, but in the first chapter, Jesus introduces himself as the true witness. The true witness. Because the witness, if the case against the defendant stood, and it led to an execution, the witness would throw the first stone if it was death by stoning. When Jesus ultimately destroys the lost, he has every right. He is the true witness. When he destroys Satan, who is a false witness, that's what the court is about. He has the right to do so. Now, going back to Matthew. Now, with this in mind, to Mark, I'm sorry, with this in mind, we'll start to understand the terrible, what shall I say, compromises or violations is the better word that they made. Their testimonies did not agree. So, amongst them clearly is a false or are more than one false witnesses. Do you understand that? They should have dismissed the case and they should have held them accountable because they were trying to put him to death. Yeah? The judges were disqualified, the witnesses are disqualified. Then verse 57, rose up and bore false witness against him, some, saying, We have heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands, But they didn't even then, not even then did their testimony agree. Mark is saying, and he heard it from Peter, he said, you know, even then about this silly accusation that Jesus would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. You find it in the second uh, chapter of the Gospel of John. What was he talking about? The temple? What was it? His own body. Okay. They couldn't even agree on that. Now you see, this is vitally important. The judges were to make diligent inquiry. There were two sets of questions in the jurisprudence of the Hebrew. That was the Hakirot and the Bedikot. One pertains to alibi, the other one pertains to circumstantial evidence. And the accused had every right to ask the questions. Jesus never used it. Never did. It probably was not afforded to him. The thing is, these witnesses are already disagreeing. There was also encumbered upon the council to sequester any of the witnesses, meaning you question them separately. By the sound of this gospel, that didn't happen either. And that's why Mark writes in a almost, um, what shall I say, what's the word in English? He said, even then, they had heard the others, but even then, their testimonies didn't agree. It's a snipe remark here in the Gospel. And the high priest, verse 60, stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Do you answer nothing? What is it this man testify against you? Jesus could have spoken up. He could have questioned them. He didn't. He didn't defend himself either. Note verse 61. But he kept silent and answered how much? 
Why was Jesus silent? I'll tell you why. If his testimony of events might have agreed with any of those witnesses, you have a case. But he didn't. His best defense was to say nothing. You needed two or more witnesses besides the accusing witness. Can you now see why Jesus didn't say anything? Do you? You understand this? And so he said nothing, and this Caiaphas now sees the case slipping away from him. He has no case. Why did they bring him in? Well, they wanted to put him to death. They accused him of wanting to demolish the temple as if he could. The stones were 40 feet long, 13 feet wide, 15 feet high. What are you going to do? It took a Roman army, an instrumentation, the best of the day, to turn every stone from the other there in 70 AD. And so the high priest asked him, saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? What's he doing? He's doing two things. Firstly, Jesus is brought in because of sedition. After all, that's Herod's temple. Remember when Jesus came on the donkey there? You find that, of course, in the Gospels. On that Sunday morning, which they call now Palm Sunday. And they were calling out to him as if to a king. And they were putting their mantles on the ground. And they were waving the palm branches. Remember that? What was Jesus riding on? That's kingship. He claimed to be a king. He also claimed to be God. Because, remember the cases, that Jesus turned around to the incurable and he would say, your sins are... Who alone can forgive sins? God. And Jesus is God. Before Abram was, I... And I am is God. In the Hebrew, there is no verb in the present tense for to be. Because that's only God. And so it's very interesting when you look at this. The priest now tries to extract a condemnation out of the mouth of the one that is accused. Do you understand? But he has changed the indictment from insurrection to the establishment to blasphemy because he's lost his case on the first indictment he now changes to this one he says to him are you the Christ, the son of the blessed and that means of course are you the son of God Jesus could not remain silent here and he didn't and Jesus said I am and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power. The power is God. And coming with the clouds of heaven, that is billions of angels surrounding him, which at a distance looked like clouds. The second coming. 
It is remarkable. That's what he said. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, What further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? What's he doing, the high priest? You know, you should study your Bible like this. This is the greatest, gravest injustice. They were supposed to be on his side. They were the judges. Caiaphas becomes the prosecutor. Do you understand? They now become the accusing witnesses against Jesus because he purposely extracted this from Jesus. Yet still Caiaphas didn't have a case. He would have the proof that he wasn't the Son of God. You can't do that. He just brought somebody back from the dead a few weeks ago. How many people do you know who can do that? Everything about the life of Christ pointed to the fact they should have examined the Scriptures. They would have recognized the Messiah, but they didn't. Interesting. The trial was at what time, this trial? The middle of the night. Do you know that the Talmud specifically records the obligation to have any capital case heard only between the morning sacrifice and the evening sacrifice. That is from nine in the morning approximately to three o'clock in the afternoon. They were not allowed to hear evidence between. Do you understand that? This trial is at night. If you go to 15 verse 1, immediately in the morning the chief priest held consultation with the elders and the scribes and the whole council. What day was it? What morning was it? What day was it? Eh? Friday. But the Jewish day begins at sunset. True? So at sunset, when Jesus is there before the priest, and the next morning are the same day. Do you understand? In fact, they arrested him in the middle of the night. They had an illegal counsel against him, trial. And then in the morning they repeated that, whereas they should have been deliberating how they could possibly save a son of Israel. They take him to Pilate. Because they want him dead. This is an amazing, amazing story. They were never allowed to pass an execution, to perform an execution according to their law, unless it was at least a day after. They were under obligation to meditate, to discuss, to find a theory. You know, any of those students, those three rows of students, if the man was condemned to death, if they came up with a theory how they could save him, and it worked, they were instantly a member of the Sanhedrin. And as they deliberate, they would start with the junior. 
And then they go to the senior, to the most senior, then ultimately the high priest. Why with the junior? So he might not be influenced. There's another thing here that you should see. I could go on about this a lot longer. I want you to see something. Jesus is God. Is that true? He allowed himself to be subjected to the vilest, the most indecent procedure that they claimed was law. Do you understand? Now look at this. Look at this. What further need do we have of witnesses? You've heard to bless me, what do you think? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. How many of them agreed to put him to death? Under the Talmudic law, if all agreed, the accused goes free. It's a mob rule. You understand? It's a mob rule. He goes free. It is a wonder that anybody ever got convicted. It's based on mercy. This trial, as it found place, wholly controlled by the enemy of souls as he controlled the people who were participating. I want you to see something here. If ever you feel you've been wronged in your life, unfairly treated, study this chapter. Whatever they dished out to you is nothing compared to the absolute abuse of right as it was put here to Jesus. Start thinking. If you think, even if life has been unfair, he only went about doing good. What they did to him, they robbed him of any, any rights. They robbed him of any integrity. That as far as they were concerned, he was entitled to none of that. It's amazing that God permitted it. This is God who is being judged. But you know, we can read the story and the universe is watching on. Here is the sin bearer before a human court, a human court controlled by Satan. Oh, he had his demons in tremendous numbers. You should have heard him cry, crucify him. Pilate could see what was happening. That was innocent blood before him. Pilate was his hands, didn't he? You know what he was saying to the Jews? And he said it. His blood be on you. You remember what they said? Yeah. Has that happened? If ever there was a nation, a people, it's the Jews. They had the blood of Christ on their hands and the children suffered because of it. Now, 
Why do I tell you this story? What does it mean to you? Well, firstly, I already alluded to the fact if there's any, but I'm out of time, if, you are, if there's any injustice in your life, get over it. Please, don't you dare procrastinate, don't you dare to dwell on it. The one who went before you, remember, the servant is not greater than the master, and it's nothing compared to what's heading your way. You believe Jesus is coming? Oh, absolutely. He's coming, and soon. But before that happens, before that happens, there are three entities that will be against you. There is an upper state church. There is big business. And there is a secular entity that wants to put you to death. Brother, before he comes. In the case of Jesus, you had the Pharisees. They were students of the Torah. They had all their rabbinical laws. They knew them just about by heart. These were an overzealous apostate religious people. You had the Sadducees who controlled the temple trade and the exchanges. They charged a flat 4% on any exchange with the temple currency. Oh, they were so wealthy, big business. And you had Rome, the secular authority, who would comply with the request of the apostate church and big business. Keep the peace. Who cares? Can you see the end time scenario here? They're going to rob you of your dignity. They're going to rob you of what you have. what you are. And then he's coming. And if you keep your eyes on him, he will lead you through it. But you better have your eyes on him. And if you want him to lead you through that time, He must lead you now. That's true? With our heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift that we have in Jesus. And isn't he beautiful? What he did for us and paved the way before us. What a man, what a God. We could not do anything else but follow, couldn't we? Help us to walk that road, to be led by him through his spirit. Teach us how to behave like he behaved. Help us to see him now. Grant us to see him soon as he is coming because we know he is coming. Now we pray for these blessings. In Jesus' precious name, Amen. This message was made available by the Wallara Seventh-day Adventist Church. 
For more resources like this, visit wallarachurch.org. That's Wallara, W-O-O-L-L-A-H-R-A, church.org.
to welcome you to Healthy Living Around the World. I am on site at Center for Health in Bulgaria and today my guest is Emilia Nedova. Welcome Emilia to the program. Thank you so much Casey. Now Emilia, you are a worker here at Center for Health. Can you share with us a little bit about how you came to work here? Uh, before five years ago um, I came as a student in this place and um, there was a training for medical missionaries mm -hmm. and I spent six months here. We were trained how to do massages, hydrotherapy, uh, how to organize health um, clubs and cooking classes. and. Um, after that, I went to the university and um, I traveled a lot. But uh, recently, they called me um, that they need stuff here. And uh, I said, okay, I'm free and I can come and I can help. And um, I'm happy that I can serve in my country. Yeah, okay, so you're from Bulgaria. Yes, I'm from Bulgaria. Ah, that's good. It's always nice to have opportunities True. in your own country where you can do mission service uh, in helping people. Okay, so how long have you been here now in this, this stint? Three months. Three months, okay. And what are the kind of things you're doing? Um, I have been working in the therapy. Okay. As a physical therapist. Usually we have uh, some baths, sauna that we have to prepare for the patients, um, massages that we do, mm -hmm. that we give, also juices, teas. Okay, so a bit of a variety of things yes. for, the, for the health guests. Yes, gymnastics oh. in the morning, oh. in the afternoon. Wow! Getting stretching and getting active. Yes. That's good. Wokes. <laughs> Obviously it's a it would seem natural for someone working in a lifestyle center to also be living a healthy lifestyle or at least having some healthy lifestyle principles and in place in their life. 
How did you come to appreciate healthy living for yourself? Uh, from uh, small when I was in the high school, mm-hmm. I didn't know so much as I know now about the health principles. But I used to uh, take um, to school every day an apple in a bottle of water. <laughs> okay, yes. So I was doing the things that uh, later I learned that they're very important for our yes. health without knowing. It was just naturally. And also when we had some breaks, mm-hmm. um, I would open the window of the classroom so that fresh air can ah, enter. Yes. Okay, and you just naturally wanted to do that. Right, so you've got your, your water there, your fresh air, and your, your healthy food <laughs> yes. coming through there with the apple. That's good. So even from a young age, you've had that. And I was doing some sport activity. Okay, very good. So what then would be one of your favorite healthy living principles? Yeah, I always have my butter with me. Okay. So I love drinking a lot of water. I cannot live without water. Okay, yes. I can live without food, but not without water. Ah. I love also to do exercise and to travel. It's part of the exercise. Yes, okay. So what kind of exercise in particular do you enjoy? Um, Yeah, stretching, morning exercise, just to give you this inspiration to start your day. Mm -hmm. Very good. And obviously you like helping others do that here in your work because you're involved in the gymnastics and doing all the different things. That's excellent. Now, another question for you. How has living a healthy lifestyle had an impact on your spiritual life or your walk with God? Have you noticed anything over the years? Mm. Well, I, for example, um, if I go to bed early, I can get up earlier and have more personal time with God. So this is something that I'm trying still to improve. Yes. <laughs> to go to uh, to bed on time. Ah, so is going to bed early a health principle? Like what health benefits would there be for going to bed early? Yes, it's, it's a health principle. Mm-hmm. And uh, this health principle is one of the best. Okay. If you follow, you feel like an angel after that. Oh, really? <laughs> you wake up feeling that good? <laughs> it's always good to wake up feeling that fresh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're saying that if you do that, your time with God is Yes, your better. spiritual life is... Um, going perfectly Mm. Mm -hmm. and you have time to organize your thoughts for the day okay and to see the plan for the day Uh, another thing that helps me to improve uh, my spiritual life connected with the health principles is that when um, i decide to fast and uh, i notice that when I fast um, my brain is much more focused Mm -hmm. on the more important things in life and that helps me to take better decisions and not just better decisions but the right decisions yes okay in the right time so what do you do normally when you fast Um, usually when I fast um, 
I I don't work so much mm-hmm. so that I can this time can be concentrated on the decision that I have to take and I will drink water maybe mm-hmm. or tea or even some fruits sometimes I will not eat nothing okay even, sometimes you have not water all right sometimes yeah. you do complete it depends uh, how important is the thing that i'm fasting okay. for yes yeah uh-huh. so you do this fairly often when you have to make an important decision mm-hmm. not very often but when this time comes okay. it just cannot go without fasting because it's something uh-huh. that bothers you and Yes. If you care, you will fast. If you don't care, you will just go with it. <laughs> okay. Right. Mm, interesting. So that action of fasting has a big impact on your mental powers to be able to think clearly and make a decision. True. How about then, if you were going to talk to someone, I mean, you meet lots of people in the lifestyle center here who are obviously come to change their lifestyle or make improvements what would you say to someone who's wanting to make changes in their lifestyle who's thinking about that and what they need to do what would you say to them as some advice for them going forward that you've sort of learned in your experience I would advise them that um, it's not only to follow these health principles, like mm-hmm. just follow sunshine and water and healthy uh, food, exercise, and all this stuff, but also to uh, realize that all these principles, they're coming from a source, from one source. They can realize that this source is, is God and if God sometimes he don't decide to to heal them from with natural remedies, let's say, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's God that is not deciding. It's not the that the natural remedies are not working, for example. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what I want to say is that trusting in God it's also another health principle. Oh I see. Yes. And many times we forget this principle. Yeah. Even, even Christians, they just, um, they have so many worries and problems Yes. and are so stressed from the work they have. And they just work, work, work and it's so sad. They, they forget about that they have the, their Heavenly Father and He will take care of every detail, every little problem in their lives. So... My advice is to be brave and to give all your worries to God and to have even a little bit of faith. Yes. But to be there, <laughs> this faith. Yes, yes. Because it will grow with the time, like a little seed. Aha, uh-huh, right. <laughs> very good. Okay. I think that's very encouraging for people to, to know that there's a Heavenly Father who cares about them. Yeah. Even as you say, even when things don't go so well, the knowledge that God in heaven still Especially nowadays, because today we are living in a very dangerous time. Mm. Everything is falling apart around us. Crisis everywhere. Yes. When there's someone to hold on to, that can help us through, hey? True. Ah, thank you for sharing that. I think that's quite a, a significant insight. 
to share in connection with health and making changes that, that is important for people. So that's that's my experience. <laughs> okay, yes, you've, you've had that um, in your yeah, experience. Yeah, that's what I observed and it's also advice for myself. Yes. <laughs> Sometimes I work so much and I also don't have this personal time and um, it's not good. It's like you're losing the, the purpose, the aim mm. of everything, the sense of your life and you become like a robot. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much for sharing your experience. Thank you for your, your insights. I'm sure our listeners have enjoyed hearing your perspectives. Our guest today has been Emilia Nedova. She is Bulgarian and she's working here in Bulgaria in the, in the Center for Health Lifestyle Center here. And we've been recording on site. This is Healthy Living Around the World and I'm your host, Casey Butler. Until next time, God bless you richly. Welcome to the minute that makes a difference. I'm Margot Marshall. What difference would it make if you ate a healthy diet? You would eliminate one of the leading global risks to health. But what is a healthy diet? The World Health Organization lists five food groups fruits, vegetables, legumes, nuts, and whole unprocessed grains. That's it. No mention of meat, poultry, fish, eggs, or even milk. You can check it out on their fact sheet 394. What a pity it's taken us so long to realize that the diet the Creator recommended to our first parents is still the healthiest diet. So, to eliminate one of the leading global risks to health, move towards a whole food, plant-based diet. It makes a huge difference. This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.